So I'm talking about my journey to emotional healing and mental health. And the title is Be Vulnerable But Very Courageous. Um, some of you, it's great actually to see so many friendly faces. What a blessing. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I have been a member of Hope Church for quite a few years. I work three days a week alongside my husband, Andy, who leads the team in Hope Church. Uh, we moved here 17 years ago with uh, our four teenagers and some exceptional people, and we started meeting in a flat in Newton Mains, and Hope Church was started from there. Um, I've got four adult children, well, me and Andy got four adult children, of whom I am immensely proud. Um, they've all made great choices about life, about their partners, about where they invest their lives into, how they parent, their choice of friends. I am extraordinarily blessed um, because three of those four children actually live in Glasgow and all come to Hope Church. So those of you who don't know, I've got Jess and Andy over here. I've got Luke and Claire and I've got Joe and Kes. I don't know where they are. They all come to Hope and they all heard from God independently to move to Glasgow, to uproot their lives and leave family, find employment and build a new life here. And my eldest son, Daniel, he lives, currently lives in London with his partner, Annie, and we have got a little baby granddaughter called Molly, which is another miraculous story all by itself. I have got, brace yourselves, brace yourselves, nine grandchildren. Nine, nine, nine. Eight are in the church. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Why? Because God loves me and I'm his favourite. And, <laughs> and somehow he's got this amazing ability, I don't know quite how he's pulled it off, to work out his will for their lives and bless me all at the same time and have us all in the same church. It also says a great deal about their strength of character and their honour for us, being in a church that is founded by mum and dad. And I'm happy to say that they are, like many of you are, influencing our world in many ways, shape and forms. Water. Sorry, I'm a bit nervous. Do you know, it's four years since I last preached at Hope. Four, four. Had to look it up on the website. <laughs> How long ago was it I last preached? So if you, I'm going to tell my story. I was in a very bad way a few years ago. I was uh, in a real mess. I was weak and I was a shadow of my former self. And I've been on a journey since then to get more emotionally connected up, to be healthy and to be whole on the inside. And I also wanted to change some behaviours on the outside. 
So I'm going to tell you what gave me hope that it could be different. Some of the things I did that really helped. And I'm going to give you Teresa's top tips for being vulnerable, but very courageous. So I'm going to start like we all do with Jesus. And I want you to turn to Luke, sorry, to John 11. And I want us to read, it's a long passage, and I'm going to summarize it for you and perhaps pull together some verses. I'm going to take my watch off because I want to run on time. I found the story of John 11 really, really powerful. One of the reasons is because Jesus acts very differently to how I would have acted in the story, which I found he tends to do. Um, for those of you who don't know, John 11 is where Jesus' three friends, he's got two sisters and a brother who he's really close to, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And Jesus has been to their house before. He's invited all his disciples round. Crowds have gathered. They've been fed. And it was a great place where they could hear the gospel, experience healing, and hear Jesus' amazing wisdom. So they're really good friends, and Jesus hung out with them a lot. That's the background. So Jesus is with his disciples, and he gets a message from Mary and Martha saying, Lazarus is really sick. Come, please, come, come quick. And Jesus um, listens to God, which I think is completely amazing, stays where he is, and then he says to the disciples, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. This is a few days later. I'm going to go and waken him up. And they're like, that's great. If he's sleeping, he's going to get better, isn't he? That's good news, isn't it? And uh, Jesus, I love the disciples because they're so dense. <laughs> they're just like me. I, too, can be completely dense when God said things to me. He says, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you'll learn to trust in me. Come and let's go see him. Um, he was being a bit cautious because by now it was quite dangerous for him to go in public and he wanted to make sure that he wasn't crucified until the right time. Uh, so he was being a bit careful where he went and who he went with. So they, he goes to visit them. And he found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And he meets up with Martha. Martha says to him, Lord, if only you'd come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother will rise and live. And they have a further discussion. And then he goes on and then he meets up with Mary. When Mary found out he'd come, she went rushing to find him. And all her mates went with her. Because that's what mates do when you're having a difficult time. All your mates come with you, don't they? Um, and these are the bits that I found totally inspiring. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion. 
He was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. And he said to them, where did you bury him? They will show you, they said. Then tears streamed down Jesus' face. Then he comes to the tomb. And Jesus, with intense emotions, came to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone over its entrance. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. They said, he's going to smell. And he's, he's, he says, he prays, as we all do. And he says, I'll use the power. I will use the power you have given me. And then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And in front of everyone, Lazarus, who died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had the grave cloths tightly wrapped around his hands and feet, covering his face. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him loose. From that day forward, many of those who'd come to visit Mary believed in him. They had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. Aside from the fact that Jesus raised someone who has been dead for four days, the thing that I found totally intriguing. So I'll give you Teresa's version of this story. So Teresa's version of this story, remember, I am not the exact image of God just yet. Teresa turns up, says to Mary, don't worry, pet, it's going to be all right. She then goes to Mary and says, it's going to be fine. Don't know why you're crying. Walks to the tomb, says, Lazarus, come out. That's it, game over. No emotional engagement whatsoever because I already knew he was going to raise from the dead. Jesus, however, is totally different to me. Isn't he amazing? He knew. He knew days before he was going to raise him from the dead and he still breaks his heart with Martha. He still breaks his heart with Mary. He still breaks his hearts with their friends. And he goes. But he doesn't let all that emotion stop him doing what he knows God's told him to do. And it's that marrying up of being really emotionally whole and able to connect with people but also that not stopping you connect with what Daddy God's saying and asking you to do. And that is what I found so intriguing about this story. Um, Jesus was inwardly and sincerely grieved by their loss of Lazarus, even though he knew he was gonna raise him from the dead. So why is my reaction to Jesus, to, unlike Jesus' reaction, why is my reaction so different? Because I dislike showing strong emotions and it makes me feel vulnerable. And when I feel vulnerable, I feel weak. And it's also costly to engage with people heart to heart and meet them in their grief and their pain. But I want to be more like Jesus in every way. So that means I need to overcome feeling weak and vulnerable. And I need to be courageous just like Jesus is. And that's 
the spine of this story. What I saw in Jesus, I was like, I want to be more emotionally whole and like you. And I'm going to summon up every bit of courage I possibly can possess, which might feel like it's a teaspoonful sometimes, but that'll just have to do. And I'm going to pursue that. So I'm going to tell you a bit of my story. Um, And I just want to say at this point, if you have had a happy childhood and you have got great parents and you were raised to be a strong, emotionally whole person, praise God. Praise God. I want that to be more and more of our story. I certainly want it to be that to be true of my children, and I certainly want it to be true of my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. Did you know that it says the faithfulness of God is to a thousand generations? Think about that. (laughs) Um, So, four and a half years ago, my dad died. This marked the end of a very complicated, painful, loving relationship. My story is a very common one. Um, I am, I was born in 1957, so save you doing the maths, that means I am 62 years old. So I was raised in the late 1950s, 1960s and early 70s. Great decade for music, I just want to (laughs) say. Sorry about the rest of you that were born after that, but the 70s were the best. (laughs) Um... Dad was like two people. He was a loving man occasionally, but he was a cunning, cruel, scheming, verbally vitriotic, savage dad who was a violent drunk. And when you looked in his eyes, they were full of hate. One of the memories I have is of an eight-year-old was standing in front of my mum with my brother and sister behind me and the dog. And I was trying to stop him hitting him. And I was, I don't, I was thinking I was about eight. And I was just trying to stop him getting at them. Um, another time, uh, we lived in a shop, uh, the local village shop. Uh, and uh, dad used to bone his own meat and one another memory I've got is he was shouting and yelling at us, but in his hand he'd got this great big boning knife that he'd been using on the bacon and was waving it around while he was doing it. Mum would be sick quite often. What that actually meant was she was in bed and she was waiting for the bruises to disappear. Um, I would desperately try and protect we would all be cowering and crying. There would be a lot of screaming and things being broken. One time we made, we made the mistake of calling the police and they turned up. But remember now, this is the 1970s. It's changed a lot now. They turned up and they said they couldn't help because it was a domestic incident and left. Well, we never did that again. Uh, Mum's love was complicated too. She was compliant in the terrible abuse. I can understand she was a victim and never had the courage to leave with small children. 
It was also made difficult because in those days, if you got divorced in the Church of England, you got thrown out um, and you couldn't stay there. And mum was a God-fearer. So the deck was just stacked against her, getting any form of help, really. But the damage done to me and my brother and sister has been horrendous, actually, horrendous. Um, I'm pleased and very proud to say both my sister and my brother are courageous people. Um, and they have both made very powerful decisions about not being a victim. So I come from a courageous siblings, I have to say. Things have changed a lot now, I am delighted to say. GPs, teachers, midwives, nurses, hospitals, uh, they're all trained to look out for these signs and to offer help. There are places where you can go, you can get help. There is more resources that you can find now than was available to my mom and other ladies that were in her position. Back in the 60s and the 70s, this was a very shameful thing. Uh, you were basically told to put up and shut up. And that was basically it. Fast forward to four and a half years ago, all my previous coping mechanisms that I'd had began to drastically fail. So numbing, keeping myself too busy to think or feel, self-loathing, judgment was at a truly atomic scale. Perfectionism, if I don't do everything exactly right, it's not going to work. Um, I felt I was immediately going into rescuer or fix-it mode. I felt I was trapped in a perspex box where I could watch people, but it was from a long way away. I couldn't engage, couldn't feel close, didn't feel known or heard. Everything felt muffled and silenced by the distance. I was incredibly lonely and thought on a regular basis about suicide. I had severe depression and anxiety. I'd had hot flushes for 20 plus years, heartburn. I woke up most nights between two and four was unable to get to sleep. When I woke up, I'd be completely wired. I'd be ready to fight or flight. Oh, we used to joke about, it was a shame there wasn't a 24-hour gym near us because then I could have just gone and worked it all off somewhere. Um, I had stiff joints, stiff hips, stiff back, and emotionally, I was a mess. Throughout the years, I think one of the reasons I've been able to build such a healthy and different family environment for the one I was in is because I've always gone to uh, for help. So you name it, I've done it. I've done Bible studies, had healing, I've done sozo, uh, I've had deliverance, I've been imparted to, I've been rebuked, discipled, you name it, I've done it. Um, read loads of books. 
but none of this was working. So I was really desperate and I decided I need to do something about this because I don't want the abuse I suffered to, I don't want to abuse other people as a result of it. Do you see what I mean? And even while I'm getting help, I don't want to abuse people that are around me. I know they'll get damaged because they love me and they'll see the pain I'm in, but I don't want to be abusive to them. So the first, I thought I need professional help. So I went to Cruise Bereavement Service in Glasgow. I found it enormously helpful, hugely actually. It was the first time I told a professional counsellor about my life. Um, and it was so affirming of me and of my experience. And it made me realise, wow, I've really minimised what's happened to me. During that time, God really spoke to me. Throughout this whole process, I just want to say God's been really good in terms of directing me to the right people, in terms of put, giving people that have had encouraging words for me, um, a huge supportive network of giants in our family, our Hope Church family and my own family that have been massively helpful. Um, but God spoke to me in a dream and he said, Teresa, you've nearly buried Teresa. She's nearly dead. You need to love her. You need to hold her. You need to look after her. And you're only going to be able to bring her back to life but through community. When this was finished, I was still in a bad way, and me and Jan Treadgold researched for therapists that would be helpful. I thought, I'm only going to do this once. This has got to work. I'm only going to tell this story once, and it had better work, because if it doesn't, I'm never doing it again. And I decided I wanted to work with, go down the cognitive behavioral therapy because it's measurable, it's evidence-based, it's proven to work, and you can measure your progress throughout, which was important to me because you have days when you're like, I have not changed a jot. And then you do one of their, I regularly did, um, like charts to fill in. And when I did these charts, I realized I have improved because my anxiety, instead of being minus 10, which is the lowest you can possibly go, is now minus nine, <laughs> which was really encouraging. When I started this, um, I went to see the therapist who I'm going to call Q because she was a bit like James Bond, I think. Uh, you know, James Bond has all these pens that mean you can defeat the enemy. Well, she was giving me tools that meant I could defeat the enemy. She, um, pens that could destroy old ways of thinking, belts of truth that meant I could abseil up mountains. I didn't need to go down them. I was already down pretty far, but I definitely needed to go up some growing in self-awareness so I could look after myself. She gave me some skills that worked like a GPS on your watch, which meant I could always find where Teresa was. It took a while to do that at first. Um, we, we started doing a program called Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. 
which is a right mouthful, so from now on I'm going to call it EMDR because I can barely say it. Um, this is a form of therapy that deals with post-traumatic stress disorder and complex trauma, which is what I had. It also helps with addictions and it is a wonderful therapy for children that have been through trauma because it's not a talking therapy. So you don't have to speak about your experiences uh, through it. It works by replicating REM sleep. Did you know that when you sleep, your REM brain, it files memories? The trouble when you've had trauma is your brain can't file the memories. They keep bouncing around in your head, um, which was what my problem was. I was a textbook case, apparently, and it worked incredibly well. But it was incredibly gruelling because one of the things that happened was I remembered things that I'd forgotten as a child or as a teenager for really, really good reasons. I felt such a horrible, worthless person who was intrinsically, permanently flawed and incapable of ever being loved by a dad or anyone else. And if anyone got to know me, they'd just discover how rubbish I was. I'd go home after these sessions, I'd curl up in a ball, and I would not move for hours. I might watch a Jane Austen film, because the biggest thing that happens on that is a veiled insult. Um, <laughs> a lifted petticoat causes scandal. <laughs> it's very therapeutic for me. I still love Jane Austen. We went to see Emma the other week. I have to say, I don't think it's as good as the other one, but there you go. Um, you know what? A week later, I would get my journal, I would get my pen, I would have done work on what I discovered the week before, and I'd go back. I'd walk out, my knees would be shaking, I could barely walk across the road. I used to go and stagger into a coffee shop, which was literally across the road. I'd sit there, I'd journal, and when my knees had stopped shaking and I thought I could walk... I would go to the bus stop and get the bus home. That's what I mean when I talk about being vulnerable, but very courageous. Um, let me see the time. Oh, goodness. I then chose to do another therapy because I wanted to change internal childhood patterns that reverberate throughout your life. I wanted to change how I acted, how I felt regarding others, how I saw myself and how I saw the world. Both of these therapies, the schema therapy and the EMDR, require a lot of work outside of the session. Um, and schema therapy teaches you to apply skills in life and manage your problems in a healthy way by continually confronting yourself with proven evidence or the truth until you see those patterns change. So how am I four and a half years later? Keeping myself too busy to think or feel? I can still do that. Still a habit I fall into. Diary planning helps. And then I have some very good mates around who'll say... Teresa, 
you're doing too much. And usually I'll ignore them the first time they say it. And then we'll say it again. And then I'll listen. Self-loathing and judgment, that's completely changed. That rarely happens. Perfectionism, that can die. (laughs) Never was a strong suit. If I ever fall into that pattern of thinking everything's going to be perfect, I just say, no, it hasn't. Uh, Immediately going into rescue or fix-it mode, I still do that. The good thing is now is I catch myself after I've done it. And on a really, really good day, I can catch myself before I've done it. Trapped in a perspex box, very, very rare indeed. And I know what to do if it happens. And I know that that's a red flag. That shows that something's out of kilter. Lonely, not anymore. Suicide, not anymore. I still, uh, the last time I did that test, uh, the one where I was minus 10 and minus 9, I am pleased to report I am normal. And I have the paperwork to prove it. (laughs) 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 Uh, Stiff back, hips and joints, considerably less than it was. Waking in at two and four, extremely rare and only lasts a couple of days and then it goes back to normal. Heartburn stopped. Heart flushes, huh, stopped immediately after the trauma therapy. Just goes to show it was trauma related. Who knew? Um, Feedback from friends. One of the funniest things, actually, one of the really precious things was seeing... um, getting feedback from friends so seeing Andy he said I was a different woman to the one he'd lived with for 38 years it's 40 years this year actually we've been married 40 years Um, but seeing the difference in him because he'd anticipate me behaving like I had done for the previous 38 years like getting angry or blowing up at something and I wouldn't and he was like waiting for the explosion that never came. And uh, he would be expecting me to be uber anxious about something. And I wasn't. Uh, so that was really fun to see him kind of catching up with a new me. Um, somebody said you give hugs like nobody else. When you hug someone you love, you hug the devil out of them. <laughs> Somebody else said, I love your resilient roots in God. You're a true role model for the women in your life as a mother, a wife, a friend. Your faith shines. You're incredible. Your vulnerability, integrity, and courage. Cue, my amazing super duper, giving me all these amazing tools, was staggered and inspired. Uh, This really meant a lot, actually. Uh, she was staggered and inspired by what I'd built, that I'd been able to build something completely different to the home I was raised in. 
which means a lot when you're a professional and you're dealing with people like this all the time. So that really meant a lot to me. She said, not many people have done what you've done. And I was like, yes, but I've got Jesus. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is a definite plus. Um, somebody else said, you let people be who they are around you, which is very powerful and encourages creativity in people. So you'll be sitting there thinking, how do I respond? So here is some of Teresa's top tips. I think as a community, we have moved considerably already in our understanding of emotional healing and mental health. But not everybody has in the Christian world, and it can be a hard place. I've come across snide comments, mocking about therapy, people treating you like you're a bit weird, which, to be honest, I was a bit weird. Um, um, it's not good out there if you're a Christian and you're severely depressed or you've got mental health issues, but I want us to be different. Also, we all have areas in our lives where we're a mess, where we are vulnerable, where we're weak. And I want to strengthen you to see, to be courageous in those areas in your life. So trust God to speak to you and lead you. I had dreams throughout this process. I felt real peace about all the therapists and the professionals that I dealt with. They were very respectful, compassionate, honoring of me, very warm. They went at my pace. There was no shame, no compulsion to be fixed. <laughs> that just came from me. Uh, research and seek professional help if you need it from accredited bodies and accredited therapists. I've got a, a sheet here that Nick and Jan have done, which is specialist help, therapy, input or support that Hope Church endorses. So it comes highly recommended. Um, if anyone wants those details, ask friends if they know anyone who's been helpful. Uh, it may cost you, cost me money, cost me a lot of time, cost me a lot of emotional... Um, rewiring, uh, a lot of reassessment, because I had to face up to how crap my childhood really had been. Um, I'm careful who I get in, what tradesmen I get to come and fix my house. I'm quite fussy. I'm not going to have any numpty coming in, um, fixing my house. Um, so be the same with yourself. A supportive community, I'm standing here because I have and had an incredible supportive husband who has been uh, to hell and back actually with me over this journey. I'm also here because of my children and their partners who have been extremely supportive and helpful and encouraging and cheered me on and came and talked about total drivel, because you need to do that. Um, I've also got some extraordinary friends 
who've all listened to me talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and say the same thing for hours and hours and hours until you begin to see them glaze over and then you're like, wow, you really love me. <laughs> um, oh, cake. Put your hand up if you know that cake is a very important part of the healing process. I was expecting more, actually, more, more. <laughs> um, my therapist, Q, who I still see now, uh, I want to stay accountable to her, and there are areas of my life I'm still working on. If you want to build community in your life, we have got some excellent life groups in church, which is safe places where you can go, you can worship, you can be prayed for, they will love you. They are run by some extraordinary people, actually. Um, so go along. Or and build your own community around you who will pray with you, stand in the gap. When you've lost hope, they'll say, God's going to work this out for good. It's going to be great. You're going to come through this. It's going to be okay. And you're like, I hope you're right. Um, weakness is strength, actually. I needed medication. I'm still I'm on high blood pressure meds. I'm also still on antidepressants. Can we just be a place where we get rid of shame and blame or anything about to do about emotional healing or mental health? You know, if, I'm a, if you're a diabetic and you need insulin, take it. We'll pray for healing, but keep on taking the insulin until your doctor says, oh, you don't need to do that anymore. Do you know what I mean? Let's love people. Because Jesus heals us through a whole range of um, resources. Uh, I mean, where I want to be is people like me, they have a gathering experience where in a, a matter of hours, they are completely healed on every single level, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. They are completely restored, but we are not there yet. And until we are, let's embrace a range of um, tools. Um, Jesus wants us to be free by whatever means. I plan on using all the tools I've gathered. In fact, even now, if I go and travel anywhere, I always travel with a file. I've got a file of papers that come with me, and you will see me beavering away at 10 o'clock at night, writing things out. If I realised, I think I need to process this. Um, and sometimes I still feel weak and vulnerable. Uh, even when I'm filling out those papers, because I'm like, why do I need to do this and other people don't need to? But you know what? It works. And I'm going to stick with it. Do things for fun. Valuing, there's a great verse in the Bible. I'm not doing for time. Oh, good. Talks about this is a killer of a verse. 
it's in the Passion Version, I think. It says, value others as much as you value yourself. I was like, crap. If that said, Teresa, value others much more than you value yourself, I would be apostolic. <laughs> For it doesn't say that. It says, value others as much as you value yourself. Which is why I started... No, I like, I'm making that sound like I chose to do this journey, and I didn't. I was a complete and utter mess in every area of life. I could barely put one foot in front of the other. My life had shrunk to nothing. I was scared of everything. Um, but I knew that I did not love myself and that I needed to. Fun things, go to the gym, hang around children and grandchildren, walks in the country, fresh flowers, eating chocolate. That is part of the healing process. <laughs> great meals with great company, resting, loving a good book, holidays, sunshine. Um, vulnerability requires risk. When you're telling your story, you're showing trust. And you're also, for me anyway, I'm also checking if people can handle that trust responsibly. Uh, it is not an emotional outpouring where some poor soul is standing there and I just go, bleh, all over. Um, that is dysfunctional, actually. And I don't want to do that to anybody. God wants you emotionally whole. He wants me emotionally whole. He adores you. He wants you to be like he always intended. Um, and can I encourage you? I think one of the things that was quite foundational to this breakdown, falling apart of myself, was that one, God wanted me really whole. But two, if you kept me in a servant environment... And it didn't really matter what was happening on the inside, but I just had to do things. Then I coped much better. But you put me in an environment and you say, you're a powerful daughter. That was a whole different challenge. And I think one of the reasons that came into me being unraveled was that. Was because I couldn't do that and carry all this junk from the past. Um... Just to give you the heads up, because it's a bit puzzling when it happens, because you're like, I functioned semi-okay for most of my life. Why is it now not working? But I think that's why it wasn't working. Um, I want to give you courage to take responsibility for your inner world and your behaviours and how other people experience you. I want to encourage you, if this resonates with you, to get help today. To pray with someone or tell a good friend what you're doing. Um, come and chat to me, but do something about it. Decide you're going to be courageous and you're going to do something about it. I've got some of the books that I've read and I've got this list of resources but God wants us whole. And if you're desperate, God will speak to you and guide you every single step of the way. 
and he is so good he will lead you to the people that will help you and will strengthen you um, I would love to pray with you if that's okay and I'm going to stay at the front and if you want to come and talk to me that would be great um, I'm also thinking of doing a discipleship course um, and I've got a sheet here uh, that is an interactive discipleship course. Um, it's not counselling, it's not therapy. If you need that, I will be pointing you into the direction of the professionals who are trained and qualified to do it. But it is a good place to start. There'll be a sheet at the front that you can sign so that we can contact you. Um, I'd love to pray. Daddy God, I just thank you for your great love for us. And that right at the very beginning, you decided you were going to rescue us and you were going to pay the most enormous price. And you chose to be vulnerable on a cross and to stay there so that you would pay the price for every wrong thing we've ever done in our lives. And that all judgment was covered and all blame was paid for. And you are committed to us being whole, emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I just want to thank you for this great company that sit before me. I want to thank you that each one of them is giants. I want to pray that you would give them courage and that you would give them hope. I pray that they would have a big view of you, Daddy God your love for them, your passion for them, and how you want them to be the people you always intended them to be before the foundation of the world. Thank you that we might be weak, we might be a mess, we might be vulnerable, but I pray that you would give them grace to take responsibility for their inner lives and their behaviors as sons and daughters of the Most High God. For those that are desperate or know people that are desperate, you don't have to go far in this world before you meet another Teresa, sadly. Encourage them to seek help. Value yourself. Don't bury who God's made you to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you his peace.